Welcome to Advanced Fashion Disruptions Aftercare, where your bruises and cuts will be licked and healed. Maybe I won't say licked. Okay, go ahead. <laughs> Welcome to Advanced Fashion Aftercare, where we try and make things a little bit better after we've ranted and raved. Well, it's also where we tend uh, any of the ego hurts and wounds. And more specifically, it's where we will share with our listeners real world experience information that will help you to not be an abomination. Right. And because what we were talking about was, and we've seen this pervasively for decades, you and I, of models being upset because they didn't get paid for a gig or a hairdresser or makeup artist is upset because they didn't get paid for a gig. But, you know, a lot of times when we as designers are reaching out to our team that, you know, we are struggling too. And that our ambition really is to change the narrative of we ca we have to stop asking um, our friends to go to bat for us every single time um, when um, our energy should really be spent on figuring out how to actually make a sale for our garments if we want to continue on in this business and and how is that done and obviously it's not through local runway shows right like yep 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 the the narrative has been like if i can just get my team to do all of these favors for me at this show that i'm either paying for or i'm doing for free myself and i'm hoping that they'll just happily go along with it and it's not really even something for print that anybody's going to get a tear sheet from like you know it's it is this abyss and this uh, lie that um, you know they're they're kind of chasing that brass ring and never quite being able to grab it, and they're bringing all their friends along with it too, and and so that's the part that really needs some attention. Um, and you know, I have totally done this in the past too because I felt like okay, if I just relevant if I just keep going a little bit more if I ask a little bit more from these experts in my life that are dear friends that we've you know had this great camaraderie before to create the same kind of magic that maybe 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 that will be the one place that I'll get discovered and and the the reality is it's never going to happen in these local settings I agree with every bit of what you said I think that you're right on the mark and I think that um, I think that, 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 that's my dog piping in. He thinks we're on the mark too. Um, I think that the misconception is that there is no way to learn what to do. Uh, that that they trial and error is a great way to do it. I, I probably have learned more being in the business than I learned educating about the business. But there are so many good books right now for for apparel brands teaching them how to be apparel brands teaching them how to monetize um francis harder fashion for profit brilliant it should be your bible 
uh, handbook for fashion designers or survive fashion designer survival guide. If you look that up, I don't know the author. Brilliant. These are people within the industry who have worked within the industry for decades who are sharing in a very synchronized and organized way the things that you will need to know. In the modern age, it's 2022, people. You can get a university education in fashion business online. You can get it from YouTube for free. If you're trying to run a fashion business and you've never bothered to go on Amazon or eBay and search uh, a textbook explaining the business of fashion, you're a fucking moron. And I want to tell you that one of the best ways to, to change your status from moron to selling designer is to um, to do the work to learn. What is the business? What is the business? What is this massive industry? How do you sell? That's what we're going to talk about today. <clears throat> How were you introduced to your first avenue of a large sale, Benson? Uh, 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 um, well, um, I have to, that's, uh, you know, you're asking me to think back like 40 years. Uh, my first big sale was just a, a one-off. I was at a Prince concert, the 1999 tour, and one of our local DJs, the electrifying Mojo, loved the cape that I had made myself to wear and said, uh, where did I get that? I said, I made it. He offered me a, a $300 for it in 1982. That was a fucking fortune. And I sold it. And that's when I went, ah, people do like what I do. Right. That was my okay. first. I'm eating coffee cake, by the way, people. I because coffee it. cake, coffee cake is part of my aftercare for myself. <clears throat> mm, so good. Cinnamon pecan. And my dog is barking because he thinks he should have some. Um, <laughs> my first major sale was to a store called Faith Couture. Um one of the best independent boutiques in the fucking world uh, in Royal Oak, Michigan, run by the amazing Miss Amy Charles. And she brought she bought a, a good selection of my micro collection for her store. And um, that was a cold call. I mean, I was a bit of a celebrity in town. I was a club nice. celebrity. I had my store in the club. People were aware of me. I'd been doing fashion shows. But this was... Uh, this was um, years into it when i had taken two years off and literally retrained myself with all of my textbooks from fit mm -hmm. i i did every single course over again and really paid attention to the construction and to the um uh the the sewing order and to the uh production order i paid attention to all of that as opposed to the sparkly pretty fashion part mm -hmm. and um you know i i i i did these shows that thousands of people came to and when they were done everyone talked about how cool the show oh my god that was amazing oh you had a green dog oh my god that was blah, blah, blah. and i realized one day that no one said anything about the clothes other than they were cool and i thought i'm missing something here see i was a moron at one time people i was a goddamn abomination moron i was really uh, trying to be a broadway producer in detroit and costuming my own shows because very often I would come up with a concept for the show and then produce the garments for it. Right. But they were sellable right. and they were, I wasn't showing things that I could not sell before I had an overlock system. Everything I made was made with French seams or felt seams. 
everything. It even from the get-go, my seams were always finished or lined. So uh, Hong Kong seams were one of my favorites. Such a handy way to mm -hmm. make a finished seam. <clears throat> if you don't know what a Hong Kong seam is, number one, shame on you. Number two, look that shit up. <laughs> bias tape is bias tape is your friend. Uh, so anyway, uh, long story short, uh, I have done a fashion show. I, I'm now, uh, I, we had the cutting edge technology in that time of a VCR camera. And I had three VCR cameras uh, staged around the um, audience, taking shots from different angles so that we could edit one really cool fashion video, my first loop. And uh, the, the videographer who now works for a major network in Florida, shout out to Scott, um, it's like, uh, I, I'll, I won't record the audio so we can put a track on it. I said, no, 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 no. I want to hear what the audience has to say. And I literally, the first person that screamed said, oh my God, that cat suit, I want that. And I knew that two years that I took off from being fabulous fashionista Benson, goddess of the goth underground of Detroit, Chicago, New York, and Toronto, and decided to take my goddamn career seriously, everything changed. Mm -hmm. And Amy Porter Charles who is still one of the most stunningly fashionable, beautiful women in the fucking world. Uh, it lives in Grand Rapids, Michigan now. Shout out Amy Porter Charles. Bought, bought it. She bought the collection. And she was, um, she actually sort of mentored me through selling. She was brilliant. And that was the beginning. Mm -hmm. I answered your question, Megan. Now what? So, <clears throat> you're... What you're telling me is that a individual who was prominent in a scene in a community, i.e. you, was wearing a design that you had made, and that was a precipitous for um, the realization that people were into your garments. But then when your first order came, that came from a cold call, right? Right. So well, I mean, can I actually say that because everyone knew who the fuck I was, but I walked yeah. in with a sample bag to sell. Yeah, I, I did not arrange a meeting. I did not. I, I, I knew who Amy was. We hadn't become such close friends at that point. She was still a bit intimidating. Uh, God, so sophisticated, so sophisticated, so sophisticated, just a beautiful, tall model of quality, sophisticated, gorgeous woman. And she was intimidating as shit to me, which she would probably find funny because I was the one that usually intimidated people, being the goth empress of Detroit and parts unknown. Um, and hell, I probably slept with some of her boyfriends. Sorry, Amy. Uh, it's, it's possible. I, I, was, I was very uh, generous with myself back in the day. I say that as if I'm still not a whore. Anyway, but I think that, um, that getting to the root is that being able to reach out, whether you have hired an event company slash PR company to target your audience, knowing who your buyers would be, or directly contacting them yourself is the way to create a wholesale account. Yeah, you know, I, I'm going to simplify that. <clears throat> Please. If you want, if you want to walk through the door into a professional sale, you have to open the door somehow. And I will right. tell you, cold cold calling, literal cold calling, it's still one of my favorite ways to pick up new clients. 
-hmm. I took a team from Texas. We went out to Portland and we stopped at every sizable city that had uh, any boutique in it. I had done my internet research. We had like 60 stores. We sold from uh, Portland, Oregon, all the way down to San Diego, California. We sold everywhere we went and they were all absolutely cold calls. And now here's what you're paying for if you uh, if you do subscribe to our 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 uh, Patreon for the aftercare episodes, here's what you are going to pay for. I'm going to tell you how I do it. Should I tell them how I do it, Megan? Well, I think that maybe you should just kind of <clears throat> gloss over it because this is the type of content that's in our paid back end. And really what we're sharing today is this aftercare. And so maybe share a little bit of that, but at the Me same Megan, time, Meg Megan, like that's, these that's are I, the I just I just said that, Megan. That's what I just that's what I just said. Megan. <laughs> Megan, are you high? I'm a little high. I took a pain pill. I'm a little giggly and I'm sorry. Uh, but I just said that. And and this is our this is this is the paid subscription content. I think yeah. that, that we forgot that that's what we decided to do today. I am going to give them, and we're going to give them an episode that they would normally have to pay for. So I'm going to tell them all. I'm going to tell them all how I do it. I'm going to tell them all the secrets. Okay. I mean, do you, do you think I should? Are you okay with that? Are you taking I'm notes? I'm fine with that. I'm, I am literally taking notes. Uh, okay. <laughs> so I am. So, oh, and I should probably shout out and say most of the time, neither one of us have, have are, are, are this giggly. Um, I, I had a booster shot, uh, my second booster in the arm that has the torn rotator cuff. So like my arm was making me want to just jump out a window. So I took myself a little slow release, uh, pain medication. And I believe that, uh, Megan, uh, uh, maybe had a little, uh, green because she's in Colorado and it's completely legal, completely legal here now too, Megan, by the way. Well, one, it really is something that helps regulate a lot of my neural disturbances. And so um, I view it as a medicine, but I'm also kind of off, giggly, whatever, right? because my meds got changed from my doctor. So the stuff that is prescribed to me for ADHD um is is hitting a little different I was say. So, so i'm i'm only focusing on this not because i think that we've done anything wrong this is after care and we both got ourselves fucking worked up and the uh phone fashion friend friday talk and now we're going to have the and part of aftercare people they're all like, I wish that old queer would shut up and tell us the secrets. But part of <laughs> aftercare is taking care of yourself. Mm -hmm. We are both mellowing ourselves out. I'm taking care of my body. I had some uh, um, cinnamon pecan coffee cakes. It was delicious. And I've taken a pain pill so that I'm not so tense. Um, because that conversation made me so physically tense, Megan, that my shoulders were tensing up and making them my arms sore. So um, aftercare is big. It's not just mm -hmm. a there, there, darling. There's a lot that goes into aftercare. So um, now the big queer is going to shut up and give you all the secrets. So I'm going to go on a tour of making cold calls. I search for high-end, because I sell high-end clothing, boutiques. I look for price points. I actually can program that into my search. High-end couture, um, um, 
boutiques and then I will put in brands that are at the same level as what I'm selling and the same price points. And I will generally get up hundreds of listings if I give it a big enough geographic area. Okay. So on this one trip that I'm talking about, we started in Portland. We did a big fashion show in Portland and, and a vending day. And then we decided since we'd driven all the way from Texas to Portland that we would turn it into a business sale. And I had two new junior partners who had never sold apparel before. So I was teaching them. It was an educational trip as well. And these are the things that I taught them. Once I have a list, and the more specific you are, the better. Uh, now I would have perused websites back then. We didn't so much have, uh, not every business had a website. There were still only like a million websites on the internet instead of several billion. Uh, now I would actually research the website and look at what they have. But at the time, and I still suggest that you do this. I suggest a physical manifestation first. Mm. I would go into the store a day before I meant to sell. I would read the store. I would look at almost everything in there and I would determine rather rapidly, was this a good price point place for me to pitch to? I would look at the labels they carried. I would look at the content they carried. And if they had things that were too similar to mine, I would scratch them off the list. Now, some people would have said, well, if it was similar, you could have undersold and they would have picked your lineup instead. I don't undersell people. I need to make money. I had a very expensive trip to pay for, mm -hmm. uh, five people and myself. Um, so if I determine that it's a good fit price point wise, and if my merchandise uh, will enhance the store and the store is set up in such a way that I think that they will actually successfully sell my merchandise, I strike up a conversation with whomever is there. I don't care if it's the guy cleaning the toilet uh, or the cash register. I, I will just strike up a conversation. I'm very personable. I'm very affable. And I begin to probe. I ask probing questions. Um, who does your buying? Your collection here is amazing. And, and and I will tell you, 99 times out of 100, they will tell you exactly who the buyer is. Uh, sometimes they'll say the buyer is the manager or the owner. And then, you know, you I continue to talk and probe and I find out when they're there. Uh, I can even ask them, are they opposed to cold calls? Or, or is this something that you think I should set up an appointment? And whatever the answer was, I was still going to cold call. But I needed to know if I was going to cold call on somebody who was happy and receptive to cold calls or if I needed to be a little more uh, suave and sophisticated about the cold call. Mm -hmm. And depending on the answer, I would either come in with garment bags if they were open to cold calls and used to cold calls and loved having cold calls to see new merchandise brought to their store. If they were not into cold calls and they wanted appointments, I would show up the next day when the buyer was there, whatever day that was going to be, and I would shop again. Mm-hmm. And I would then strike up a conversation with the buyer and I would talk right. very knowledgeably about their collection. And I would, uh, I would tell them uh, that they had a really, really good eye. And this is the kind of store I would love to have my collection in. And 99% of those buyers will say, Oh, you design. And I would say, yeah, actually I'm a, I'm on a sales trip out here on the coast. Uh, but I know that you like an appointment. So I, I, and we don't, we're not going to be in town long enough to make an appointment with you. So I, I just, I just really wanted to come in and, and look at your beautiful clothes again because I was in the other day. And they're like, well, well, wh where are your samples? And I'm like, well, they're out uh, with my team outside the store <laughs> waiting for you to say come in. Um, right. But I said, well, they're outside waiting for me. Uh, we're going to go have pizza or lunch. You know, it, and it's all alpha and it's all true. I'm not even like scamming or being suave uh, to manipulate, although there's a manipulation in it. I'm just being genuine. I am making connections and I am making relationships. And 99% of them 
will tell me to bring them in. And 80% of them will buy something. So I did that store after store after store. And then uh, by the time we got to uh, San Francisco, down the Oregon coast and down the upper Northern California coast. I mean, San Francisco likes to pretend like it's Northern California, but it's really central California. Northern California is a hoot. Um, we had several stores isolated that were best high-end stores, Russian Hill, uh, you know, the, the good neighborhoods with a boopy, boogie, zhuzhi, uh, where, where, you know, Donna Karen had a shop and what have you. But there were a lot of independent boutiques because it's still San Francisco and they're still funky. Mm -hmm. So in San Francisco, I threw uh, uh, two of my compatriots in and uh, told them to go and sell. And they locked into a store where the buyer was there that day. And they did okay. I was in there. They didn't. Uh, I was pretending to be shopping. I mean, I wasn't. I actually ended up buying some good shoes. You know me and the shoes. Um, <laughs> they had some awesome uh, uh, flu bogs in there, and I bought three pair. Anyway, um, they bought more from me than I bought from them, and that's the whole gig. Uh, they kind of floundered, and the woman was interested, and she liked the stuff, but she had asked some questions uh, that they didn't really know how to answer. And I told them when I went, they were not to come and bother me at all. I was going to listen. And if they bothered me, I would never let them, I would never trust them to sell again. They would just have to carry bags. And so they did not. And uh, when it was obvious that this woman really wanted to buy and was signaling, 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 if you gave me a small price break and if you offered me exclusivity in my area of, uh, of um, uh, Russian Hill shopping district, if you don't sell these up and down the street, I will buy. So I stepped in and I said, hi, I'm Benson. I'm the designer. And uh, these are my two uh, junior partners and they're learning how to do cold call sales. And wow, you were so kind to them and your questions were so good. So I'm going to just cut to the chase though. Her name was Celeste. I said, Celeste, what the fuck do I need to do to get you to buy my stuff? She said, if you could come down on the price point a bit or give me net 30 or 60, um, and then I need you to make the straps um, multi-size. I need you to put sliders on them. And I need to know that I'm the only one in this square mile radius that will have these. I can't be like Rodeo Drive in LA where every fucking store has the same thing. Right, right. And so we sold that woman 120 cocktail dresses. 120. She bought 10 of a dozen different styles, three small, three medium, three large, one extra large. Sometimes it was just three large, three medium, three small, one extra small. Um, right. She bought 120 garments. That was, uh, goodness, that was that little sale, that little itty bitty sale was like three grand for us. It's a big deal when you get um, a client who is looking for something individualized and i know that we've had somebody reach out to us about um, why all of the influencers on instagram all look the same well <clears throat> it's because their pr people are accepting branding offers from a design company and they're wearing these looks that you can tell is branded across the board and they're getting a visual out there through guerrilla marketing like it's just um it's a it's a different it's a different game than what most people are used to 
all of fashion is a different game than what most people are used to. It well, it, it, it's, it, it's because it's not a game. It is a well, massive, well, yeah. complex system that's an industry. It's been in and place yes, for uh, yes, centuries. Yeah, yeah it's centuries. <laughs> centuries. Well, as long as people have been dressing, it has been in mm. place. And, and it's changed. And right now, uh, the retailer tends to drive uh, the market, and we're going to disrupt that too. Designers, we're not the only two designers that want to disrupt that model. Designers across the board, a huge name designers are all disrupting it. Now when they show it, whether they show it in a show or pay to have a film reel, the minute it's been seen, it's for sale. Mm-hmm. Uh, screw the season. So uh, on that trip, we stopped at um, 70 stores and sold 40 of them. Mm-hmm. And the average sale was probably $4,000. You do the math. My last call was actually, we went to San Diego and sold a few small boutiques. And then I went to City of Industry and called on an old friend that I used to sell to who had a chain of stores. And at the time, there were only eight in the country. And when I visited uh, them again in, uh, I guess that was 2009, um, 2008, uh, they had grown to like 385 stores in the U.S., mm-hmm and abroad, and um, they bought uh, arsenic and black lace. They bought several styles. And so by the time that trip was over, we'd made over a million dollars. And I think what people don't realize is by attending these local fashion shows that they are not going to get the results of in front of buyer experience and whether that's at a trade show for your specific thing that you make or whether it is doing the hard work like you did which is zeroing in identifying who your audience is doing the recon work to make sure that that is still a good fit for what you're doing and then knowing who your buyer is and whether they're hostile or amenable It is it is in motion market research, and that mm-hmm. is one of the first things that I ask uh, designers when they want me to work. What's your marketing plan? Who is your market? Who are you going to sell these to, and how do you expect to sell them? And if they don't know that, I tell them to come back when they do, because otherwise it's a very expensive hobby that they have, and I'm going to be taking advantage of them by charging them a lot of money for prototypes that they're never actually going to sell because they're fucking morons. So that is one approach. Mm-hmm. Um, the other thing that I, and I want to piggyback this or camelback this, <clears throat> turtleback it. I want to turtleback this off of what you just said. I've got some news for you people. Even if your audience is chocked full of high-end buyers, it is very unlikely that you will make a sale at your show. Yes. Even even when you go to the magic show or the international boutique show or the pool show, any of the trade shows where hundreds of thousands of buyers globally come, it is very unlikely that you will sell to more than 5% of the people that you talk to at market. Right. And this trope (laughs) that people go backstage and buy from a designer is bullshit, frankly. And if you think that you are... Maybe, but like they're backstage. You're trying to pack up, make sure all your models are taken care of, make sure all of your hair and makeup people are taken care of, that all of the garments get put where they need to be put. So nothing happens that is not back outable. 
twenty thousand right. dollar gown on the floor and try to walk away. Bitch, and I you're will some your society person coming back here saying, "Oh, I want to buy it off of them." I don't have time for you, honey. Number one, I'd really love that you're excited about my stuff, but like that visual of like you know some highfalutin yeah. person coming backstage would actually be a you know like a a, a gnat in my opinion <laughs> you know Mag just like ah some other time make it a point magical thinking romanticized magical thinking right. i will tell you the truth that woman that socialite would never make it never <laughs> I have people in place. There is security. I mean, I suppose if Rihanna or Beyonce or Madonna um, wanted to get to me, they certainly would. But if it's you would have some, an after some... party with them. Hello, uh, right? I, I, I and 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 now there is uh, there is a connection that you just made. I will tell you where the majority of the sales occur at Magic, and at Pool, and at the International Fashion Boutique Show. They occur at after parties that designers and apparel companies hold in their hotel rooms. Mm -hmm. I figure out who wants uh, my shit. I invite them to the party. We write deals all night long. But that's still not the majority of my sales, people. Okay, I'm going to take issue with one thing. What? what? My least favorite thing, my pet peeve, is when designers call their work that they work hard on their shit. And I, okay. and I think it's important. Yes, ma'am. So yes, I'm, I'm only, I'm no. stopping that one bit because it is not, Neural, your work is not shit. Neural linguistic programming. You are absolutely correct. Thank you for correcting me. My treasures. That is where I sell a lot of my treasures. I'm slinging treasures all night long, but that still is not the major body of the sales. I've seen designers and apparel companies leave market thinking that they had failed miserably. I know my first international boutique show, I left uh, New York Javis Center with $146,000 in orders that I really had no idea how I was going to fulfill. That's when I started actually manufacturing like it was a car. Um, and then in the month that followed, that number quadrupled. Right? Wow. So why? Why? And it's the same at market. It's the same when I go to Magic. I, 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 I may write two or three sales at Magic, maybe. At the after party, I will probably write another 20% of my sales. So now we're like, we have 75% of the sales uh, left to sell. Um, when does that happen? Well, buyers rarely, unless it is literally the boutique owner, buyers rarely have the power to actually make a purchasing decision at a fashion show or, a, uh, or a, uh, uh, an industry market. They are going to go back to home headquarters, wherever that's at, and they will have been multiple buyers at that market from that business, and they will all sit down and start whittling down and making decisions. And those decisions to buy are not ever based on how bloody cool your amazing work is. Mm -hmm. It's never about your work. It's about your preparedness. Your work better be sellable. If it's not sellable, you should not be at market in the first place. Get off your horse. Go they back wouldn't to have contacted one. you if it wasn't sellable. Like, period. If, it wasn't if you're sellable, not making yeah, a sale at market, there's a reason, honey. Yeah, yeah. And, and you know, I, 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 I've taken young designers to market and young apparel companies. 
even though they were run by old people. And, you know, they didn't understand why folks were coming in and just looking at their stuff and leaving. I said, well, that's going to be one of two things. It's either going to be that it's totally not for them uh, and it's poorly made or it's poorly made. And the other one is that your price point is not right. And you can't take any of that seriously. You're going to literally have 10,000 people look at your stuff. You only need 100 of them to buy something and you're going to be fine. You will pay for market. You'll have your budget for the year. So they go home and they discuss the creations and the lines that they've seen. They decide which lines they all like and think are a fit for that store, whether it's Bergdorf Goodman's or Macy's or uh, um, Joanna's uh, Fashion Boutique Extravaganza. They're going to talk about what they saw. They're going to look at what they saw. They're going to look at their budget. They're going to look at what their budget is to be spent on. They have spreadsheets. They're going to look at how much square footage they have to fill. And then they're going to dig into you like you were a coconut cream pie. And if you did not have a tech pack, you're done. If you did not have a line sheet, a complete line sheet, you're done. It doesn't really matter if you have a bunch of pretty photos in a pretty catalog. They want to know that you have tech packs and line sheets. They want to know that you have a fulfillment agreement with some manufacturer. They want to know this. They want to know that if they invest in putting your collection into 10 square feet at Macy's and every Macy's in America, that you're going to deliver those clothes that you're able to. And if you do not have fulfillment and manufacturing already lined up, you're gone. Doesn't matter how cool your stuff is. Right. It's a different story slightly at smaller boutiques or small boutique chains. They are more likely to take risks. Once upon a time, Barney's had a young designer section, and they would take risks with young designers, uh, several of whom became massive major designers. And, and I think Neiman Marcus does the same. Neiman Marcus across the country, uh, they will take in small designers and have small designer boutiques within their uh, bridge and couture collections, which is wonderful. Neiman Marcus, by the way, I, while they're the evil big box retailer, they do a lot of work to support young designers from training opportunities to uh, giving them space in the store to sell, which is, again, a training opportunity most often. So there are lots of pieces to making a sale that have nothing to do with how beautiful and cool and well-made your clothes are. And the reason that cold calls work so well for me is because I tell them that I that we manufacture in-house. And I actually hand them a sheet of paper that says what our numbers are. And I have a scale-up plan. When we reach too many numbers for me to manufacture in-house to deliver on time, I have trade partners in the Los Angeles area that are cut and sews that I can then begin to basically work as a creative director in their 100-person uh, sewing room. Much. I don't even just turn this stuff over. I go and install my crew and myself into that sewing room for the month to get those half a million orders out. So there's a complex system. But the first and most essential thing, and Megan keeps keeps saying this, and it's so important to listen to Megan Somerville on many levels, but this one in particular, your garments have to be ready. They have to be well-made. They have to be well thought out. You have to have a source of, uh, of, of fabric that's in line so that if you do sell 100,000 of them, you can get the fabric. If they buy the fabric and your sample and you, you deliver something in a different fabric, all of those are going to come back unless you're <laughs> dealing with somebody who's tactilely uh, insensitive. So all of those things have to happen before you even think 
about booking yourself into some shit show fashion show. If you're not ready to sell, if you're not ready to fulfill orders, you have no business at a fashion show, right? Absolutely. I just put um um a rice cake in my mouth. So absolutely, oh. like <laughs> you, you should go not ahead, go ahead. under Take any care. circumstances put yourself in a show where it is for the gain of the event planner or host or whatever else is going on if you're not ready to sell those garments whether you're not ready to sell them because you're not, you, you actually can't make it again because that fabric's not available or you don't even know how you got to that design because i've seen that because before there was no pattern you cut and sewed <laughs> until you had something you liked and you don't know how you did it yeah um and That's so common. a lot of what we see in these local events and people outreaching to us going, Oh, well, why don't you want to be a part of this is because what you are displaying is a totally bastardized version of what actually happens in the fashion industry for a designer to make ends meet, to survive, to keep the, ha the design house open. That is so true. That is so true. I just saw the coolest car go by and it totally stole my attention from what we were talking about. What day is it? Where are we? Um, no, that is absolutely <laughs> true. It's absolutely true. It, it's, it's, it's a bigger job than you think. If you don't have patterns, if your patterns haven't been graded, if you don't have production level patterns, just don't, don't. I was at a, 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 a um, an industry function here in Detroit recently and met the most brilliant young lady. I met two or three brilliant young designers, excited about all of them. All of their contact information is in the phone that got stolen, but that's okay. I'll find them again. I think that we Instagrammed each other. Um, one young lady had pieces hanging on her rack that were not completed. And I, I looked at her and I said, darling, uh, your stuff is wonderful. You booked this vending opportunity and pop up before you had your stuff done, didn't you? And she said, yes. I said, okay, let me give you three pieces of advice. Number one, never book anything <laughs> until everything that you want to show is done. Do not book a pop-up shop. Do not book a photo shoot. Do not book a runway show. Do not book a wedding until it's done, until everything is done. Uh, number two, uh, unfinished garments, while they do show your fabric choices, which were impeccable and how you augment fabric and manipulate fabric, which is impeccable. Uh, this just tells everyone passing by that you are unready and that you are green, which can be okay. Mm -hmm. But number three, you could use those unfinished garments to actually accelerate sales by doing technical packs and peeling back sections to show the internal workings of how you do things. You would have a crowd in this room surrounding you, all of them amazed that you are showing the work. Right. So unless you have time to put that together before the end of the evening, I would tell you to take these unfinished garments off the hangers and put them back in the case or a garment bag and get rid of them because you are only as interesting as your worst piece. Yeah. So she did. And she sold. 
And then one woman was buying something and I stopped her because I looked at this thing that she was going to sell for $25 that she had hand painted t-shirt dress. And I said, no, ma'am, uh, I'm sorry. I was here helping her price earlier and I forgot the one in front of the 25 and the girl looked like, what the fuck are you doing? You're losing me a sale. And the woman whipped out a hundred dollar bill to add to the 25. And she said, still a deal. And I said, darling, know your worth. Mm-hmm. You put you put it, you made the t-shirt. It's beautifully made. It's a high-end fabric. It's got bamboo content. And then you hand painted it with, with uh, dye. That took you at least four hours. Mm-hmm. And she's like, yeah, probably five. I said, so I just made you 25 bucks an hour for the painting work. You made 20 bucks an hour for the whole thing. Selling it at $25 an hour, you were making like $350 an hour. Yeah. Know your worth. Um, then there was another young man that had these gorgeous gowns, but one of them was displayed so horribly that I actually went over before I even talked to him. And I, I moved to his mannequins back and I whipped this long train out around and sweeping in front of his whole display and put the other dresses back. And I said, I know that you were really impressed and were very proud of how long your train was, but no one could see it. Because you had it stretched behind your display. And now, look, they're already coming over. And he's like, oh, my God, you're a genius. I said, no, I'm just old. I'm just old. And I know how to sell. That's the other thing that designers have to understand. Until, unless or until they can afford a sales rep, you are a sales rep. And I will tell you, the minute you can afford a sales rep, get a sales rep. Get somebody who knows how to sell. Because your little clumsy, shy ass with all of your little quirks that you think make you so cool may be turning off people who are willing to spend millions of dollars. So uh, you, you you need to groom a sales persona. You need to understand what selling is. You need to understand what the business is and what the actual expectations are. And then you need to be bold enough and have the audacity to be bold enough to sell your stuff and expect to be paid what it's worth. Don't sell it for a dime less. And and there's one exception to all of this. If you are talented enough and driven enough to do one-of-a-kind couture pieces for clients, for for the approximately 75 women in the world who can afford and often do buy couture, it's a very private club. Um, you don't have to worry about fulfillment or manufacturing because you're only ever making one, and you're probably going to make that one specifically for a client. Have at it. But know that worth, too. I mean, people freak out when I quote them $20,000 for one of my jackets with that's hand-beaded with hand-cut, hand-formed, hand-sewn flowers. And I'm like, what? Is This is 200 hours of work. Right. You want to if... talk about the price of the pearls? <laughs> oh, no kidding. South sea, no kidding. They're South Sea pearls, honey. Yeah, so, you know, know the worth. And these, these are demi-couture. I can actually remake these. Um, and I can remake them by having a lot of those flowers pre-made so that I save myself 150 hours of, 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 of time. Yeah. Of watching endless movies while you're cutting won't, won't flower be exactly, It won't be. It, 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 <laughs> will it be this magnificent and organic? No. Because mm-hmm. every flower on it will be exactly the same shape and size. But it will give you the same impact. And that's only going to be $5,000. Yeah. Yeah. Know, know your market, know how to develop your market, know how to sell, be bold, be informed. If you want to be a designer who is actually a successful working designer, if you have the passion and the drive to do it, then you must do the work. If you're just some jerk off 
that gets off on people thinking that you're a designer that likes being clapped at even when you know you showed a shit show. Keep it up. Keep going the way you are. Hallelujah for you. Better luck next time. But, but if you're a way. serious designer, know that these events, unless it's a charity event and it's a heart space kind of like I'm doing this because I know it's helping, you know, X group of people. Unless it's that situation, stop doing these local shows because the only thing it's doing is feeding egos of everybody in there and lining the pockets of the people doing the event, in my opinion. And and until they're ready to talk about changing that narrative and changing the reality of who's attending these shows, I'm going to call it that way. It's okay to be part of a fashion entertainment but entertainers also get paid. Mm-hmm. And as an entertainer who is who is a quote-unquote fashion designer, air quotes, you need to be paid enough to pay everyone that wore your clothes and everyone that styled, painted, and hair uh, and did hairdos. Mm-hmm. And if you're not being paid that well, you have no business being there. You have yeah. no business being there. It's, it's ego masturbation. And quite frankly, most of these small regional shows that I go to are like one big teenage circle jerk everyone trying to play uh, soggy biscuit with each other and it's it's just it's frustrating and it's disappointing and it's also heartbreaking as mm-hmm. much as i love a circle jerk with soggy biscuit it is heartbreaking to watch this when people actually think yeah that was kind of funny uh when people actually think that they're doing fashion yeah. i mean i i i i don't i can't tell you how strong my jaws are and how leathery my tongue is because of the decades of biting it to keep from screaming when I go to these events and ranting and raving and being carried out and and hospitalized. It is heartbreaking and it's angering and it's crazy making and it's frustrating. And people, you, you have the capacity to do better. You do. And if you don't have the capacity to do better, Taco Bell, is hiring and they're paying $17 an hour now. That's more than you're making as a air quotes designer. Right. And and the event planners that are trying to pivot into, oh, well, this night is, goes to X charity and this night goes to X charity. It's very clear that they have set up a way to um, have designers, again, work for free, um, and I would caution designers, um, from doing a multi recipient type of event and stick with the ones that are in your heart space. Um, and like I do, um, red ball when I'm accepted into, um, their juried selection of designers and, um, it's for the aid services in Denver. And so that's really where I want my um, charity time and energy to go into. And I also find it fascinating what other people get inspired by when they're given a, a design parameter. And, and for this one, it happens to be something red. So um, I, I think that I might do a fundraiser for monkeypox, which is making itself known in the United States. Kind of an interesting thing that's happening. Uh, and I'm going to turtle back off of that again by saying you all need to vet these events that are fundraisers, oh, vet yeah. them. Because uh, in legally in the United States of America, the only thing that a 
an event producer who is raising funds, the only thing that he has to give the actual beneficiary to his fundraiser is the sales tax. All 50 states. At least that's the information that's 20 years old. I don't think that the federal government's changed that. I did a benefit once for an AIDS foundation, and my friend happened to work for the AIDS foundation. He says, I can't believe you guys were able to raise uh, $3,000 for us. And I was like, what? What? We sold 1,200 tickets at $100 a piece. Well, wow. yeah, the, the sales tax. We gave him the sales tax, and he was happy for it. So the event producer, uh, motherfucker that I still love, but uh, we'll never deal with again. Um, <laughs> um, you know, there was a reason he was driving a Jaguar and living in uh, one of the wealthiest affluent neighborhoods in the metro Detroit area because he was making money off of everybody that way. Right. Everybody was being scammed that way. Well, and so vet, I think that vet, vet, and I think that why we're bringing up people vetting is that we are beginning a nonprofit to be able to help designers around the world for all of their myriad of problems. I mean, designers locally have these issues of um, predatory. Um, runway shows and designers in the Ukraine have the problems of not having a studio any longer or maybe hands or, or their, their crew has been shelled to death uh, big problems and designers and, in Africa are dealing with Ebola and designers in the UK are you know small independent designers and major house designers we all have problems so we're going to try to to find a way to to have an emergency fund to create an emergency fund for designers i can't believe that we're talking about it. i thought we were oh, i mean this is a scoop it is a scoop this well a and scoop. i think i, I was sitting definitely... here like is she really gonna tell them now okay <laughs> today well i think it's important for people to start talking about that and and if we're going to bring it up about you know look into who you're um doing this fashion work for because your brand speaks louder than what people think and right. when you become very selective in the type of work that you do and who you do it for that um it it's it's imperative for you to to look up those type of events and i think ours is included um in that same um loop but it's prime time to start talking about it because you know, I think that um, once we start interviewing designers from the Ukraine, that we are going to be really surprised at the similarities that are going on in the industries there, too. Yeah, it's, it's, it, is, it is an endemic. It is a global endemic. Uh, from the top of the uh, of the stack all the way down to the, the, the sweetest uh Spanish-speaking woman who is sitting in a sweatshop someplace. It's endemic, and it's impacting and affecting us all, and we want to change that. Right. We want that to talk to models. We said. want to talk to other people. And I think it's also a prime time to you know tell people that we have Ukrainian designers that are on our schedule to talk to yes, us about to what their um, issues are as a designer. Mm-hmm. So, and, and one of the things that we're going to do that's really unique is complete transparency. I will tell you that we will donate at least 66 
cents of every dollar as opposed to eight cents of every dollar. And I, the reason I'm saying 66% is because a nonprofit has employees and has costs. So we're going to make certain that we can always donate at least 66%. And if we can't donate 66% and still pay the cost of the nonprofit, we will find another event to put on that will. So we, we really mean to be transparent, but we are we are not going to donate 100%. We're going to donate far more than, than 90% of the nonprofits do, but it does cost money to run a nonprofit. It does. People work full time. And uh, to that end, it takes a lot of work on this back end as a startup nonprofit to be able to put together the resources to create this fundraiser for um, our Ukrainian designer friends. Right, um, right. And I, and I want to call them friends, even though all we've done is read posts and, you know, cheered for them and um, talked about them on our podcasts. But, you know, I, I feel like design is a family. And when I read that post this morning from um, the model who was so upset about how cheap designers are, it hurt my heart because we're all a family. And if somebody in this family isn't being treated correctly, we have an obligation to talk about it, step in, do something. And so I think- Shine a light, shine a light. We have to shine a light. We have to shine a light into those corners. Uh, the cockroaches will scurry when the lights get turned on and then we can clean it up and and set the poison to kill to kill the vermin because it, it, it is it is an endemic that affects all of us. But we all have to take responsibility for our part of the machine. Yeah. Designers, you better be working and selling so that you can pay. If you can't, then you need to call yourself a hobbyist and do cosplay. And that's okay. That's beautiful. I sometimes wish this wasn't my career. I don't know when the last time I made something for myself just out of joy was. I make things for myself, but they're always so that I can make an appearance. Yeah. Oh, that's a business plan. That is part of the branding and business plan. I miss just sitting down and sewing for fun. Mm-hmm. There's yeah. nothing wrong with sewing for fun and for joy. It's a wonderful skill set. I love what I do. I love sewing. I love to make things. But I sometimes wish that I had the freedom not to have to worry about, will it be sellable? Does it fit into the business plan? Is this good for my branding? Yeah. And that's so, the distinction you know, that, that's, between. That's a lot. Yeah, and I think that that maybe is another aftercare that we should dive deeper into about um, this uh, really internal disconnect in a lot of ways, Benson, about talent and hobby, and and the perception of hobby or. Um, like, oh well, you can sew that. You just do it, you know. Um, but I think it's something that we probably should. Um, put under our aftercare tab to talk about. Yeah, no, you know, I I shudder when people say the word hobby. Oh, you've got such an amazing hobby. Uh, And and it's not the ego that does it. I'm like, uh, but okay, it's not a hobby. Oh, you're crafty. I also also hate the word that uh, crafty and artsy. Please don't ever tell me that I'm crafty or artsy. I'm not. I am an artiste. Mm -hmm. Okay. Honey, I think that that's all I have in me today. I need to call the FBI and the police and uh, go have a battle with T-Mobile to make them send me a new phone. Um, So I I think that I'm going to probably take a nap and then get up and handle all of that later. Uh, I think this has been a good 
aftercare program. And I do think that uh, it, it was a really smart idea for us to do an actual real aftercare, the type of thing that will go behind the paywall on Patreon um, so that people know what it is that they will be paying for. You will be paying for real real information you will be paying for how to's you will be paying for an insider's view uh in a much deeper way than we give you on just the regular afd podcast uh and please do find our patreon uh i i don't want to poor mouth it but we're paying for website and web hosting and pod hosting and um if you can't become a subscriber just just hit the buy us a cup of coffee a month button two bucks a month that will add up and help us to at least cover the cost because we want to keep doing this and it will not be sustainable if it goes too long before we get some sort of support also good time to announce to advertisers we are open to advertising your sewing related or fashion related projects and products oh my gosh wouldn't it be fun to start reviewing actual sewing products i mean that would be so fun so, well, it would also be amazing because they'd have to send them to us to use. I know. I love new tools. There's nothing better than figuring out a new tool. New tool. I love new tool. Well, you know, we're 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 actually machine geeks. We're we're <laughs> we're, we're sort of gearheads. We love the we love the workings of what we do as well as the beauty of what we do. Yeah. You know, I may have a new gig at the Detroit Opera, and 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 the. It, lead designer there was like you drape and uh cut patterns i said absolutely and she says well our last uh pattern draper uh, or draper pattern cutter left because they really couldn't deal with being given um direction by the designer they thought that they should be the designer and i said well I i don't have that ego i actually love making things and it's sometimes fun not to have to make the choices oh my gosh sometimes it's nice just to be like do this in this opera workroom oh 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 my god! How fun will that be? I, I hope that I hope that uh, and I hope that I do get that call because I would really enjoy that job and I would love to work with those people. The the head designer at the Detroit Opera Theater, uh, amazing woman, Suzanne. Highly, Suzanne. highly recommend that you send me the behind the scenes stuff first because I want to peek. Oh, yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'm pretty sure there's going to be some sort of an NDA, but yeah. Um, I get it. I'll take you it. on a virtual tour of it live. I love when that. When I get there. I love that. I would. Yeah, I love sharing fun. that with everybody. Well, I hope you have um, a fruitful day with all of the law enforcement officials you're having to talk to. Yeah, well, that, you know, it, it is what it is. And that you get plenty of um, new puppy snuggles in. Oh, I've had so many. That she spent her entire morning on her back waiting for me to walk by every time and rub her belly. She is becoming a very sweet, playful dog. I love that. Shout out to Miss Nelly. <laughs> All right. All right. Honey, I love you so much. And I and I can't think of anyone in the world I'd rather be doing this particular project with. You are always an inspiration and a source of of um, compassion and love and a balm to my soul. Uh, so thank you for coming to the aftercare and actually taking care of you and letting me take care of me and uh, taking care of this community that we so love. Yeah, because we want to see everybody smile about this work because it can be brilliant and fun. It should be, but that doesn't mean that it's not work, people. It is work. It's a lot of work. You've got to do it every day. You have to devote your life to it. You will see less of your family, friends, 
And that's just the way it's going to be until you reach a level of success where you, you can afford free time again. Yep. All right, Miss Megan, uh, this is our Tuesday episode. And uh, as we have uh, started doing, I want to mention uh, Jen Sittery's project, Angel for Fashion at www.angelforfashion.com. If you go to our website direct, uh, www.advancedfashiondisruption.com, at the top of the page, we do have an Angel for Fashion tab that will take you to Angel for Fashion, and you can go and look at what the amazingly talented, brilliant Ukrainian designers are doing, and you can uh, uh, buy some uh, pieces from them and support them as they try to figure out what they're going to do next. Yep. And um, we appreciate we you guys cut. listening. <laughs> we made the cut. We're here another day, honey. We made oh, the yep. cut again, and, and hopefully we'll be able to talk again on uh, uh, next Friday. All right. I'm looking forward to it. Take care, Benson. All right, Mama. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening to Phone of Fashion Friend. Today's episode is typical of our aftercare in our paid content section of Patreon. Please join us over at Patreon and support our hard work about giving you the real, real of the fashion industry. And today we talked about different roles and how we persevere through them. And um, part of that is continuing to watch our designer friends in Ukraine and how they're persevering through their hardships too. So please go support angelforfashion.com. And I hope you have a great week. We'll see you Friday.